Welcome to Rise to Liberty podcast. Before we get going, I'd like to ask all of you to like, follow, share, subscribe, rate, and review the show. Head over to risetoliberty.com where you can find everything related to the show, including voice messages. You can have you can you can head over to the website and leave a voice message to have it played on the show. You can also head over to risetoliberty.store for all the kick-ass merch, including risetoliberty.com slash blue dress, a new piece of merch that I have dropped, which a portion of those proceeds will be going to a charity that fights child trafficking. Finally, don't forget to go to tomfor52.com. Thomas Queter is running for New York Senator and could use your help. So head over to tomfor52.com and leave a donation. Greasyporcupines.org. For all your auto repair needs in Arizona, open Monday through Saturday, 24 hours a day. Call 602-845-0105. Now today, I have a very interesting, incredibly intelligent person, a new friend of mine, Sean Hickman. We are going to be discussing the shopping cart theory and what is known as the against me argument. So how are you doing today, Sean? I'm well. I'm well. It's good to see you. And uh, thanks for having me on. This is going to be a fun conversation, I know. Oh, yeah, definitely. You're just such an interesting person. I had to make sure and uh, get you on. So, so let's see. Let's. Uh, one thing I actually wanted to ask you, I, I didn't tell you about this beforehand, but I'm not trying to do a get you. But mm. I want your opinion. Why should people care about liberty? Like, why should they just give a shit at all? In my opinion, it's the most important of all the virtues. Um, if you think of all of the issues that we can point to throughout human history where mass atrocities take place, it, it really it starts with a restriction of liberty. And um, it's problematic. It, and, and I think that we live in a time where... Uh, people are getting their virtues mixed up in terms of order of priority. And there's this idea of uh, equality of outcomes trumping uh, liberty. And in my humble opinion, I believe the most moral way to organize any society is to allow uh, for the freedom uh, for people to succeed or to fail. Uh, I also believe that failure uh, is an interesting concept because uh, the biggest successes that I've had in my life uh, were trial and error, and, um, and and the failures led to success. And so I don't I don't look at failure the same way that others might. Um, I think that it's uh, it's a process on the way to success. And so uh, organizing a society in a fashion where people are free to make their choices and to choose their destiny. Uh, maybe it's all those choose your own adventure books that I read when I was a kid. Uh, it just, uh, I, I like to have a little bit more control. I believe that I know what's best for me more so than uh, other entities, specifically the government. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, at least from my opinion, liberty 
itself, the, the whole idea and put into practice, it's life. I, I view pretty much everything as it's, it's either freedom or slavery and it's on a sliding scale and it goes one way or the other. Um, and it's, it's just like, do you want to be free or do you want to be controlled? You know, are you a free person? Can you do your own decision-making or do you need somebody else to do it for you? Do you need big brother? Do you need, uh, any of these Karens, which I hate that term, but you know, do you need some, uh, some bored, lonely housewife to be able to, uh, dictate what goes on in the neighborhood? You know, it's like, no, I, I can take care of my house myself. You know, thank you. I'll, if I want to put up a weird little pink flamingo in my front yard and sorry if you don't like it, but I don't give a shit. So, yes, I agree. I agree. I like the, uh, commercial for not moving into uh, homeowners associations which would restrict your ability to put that flamingo in your yard yeah, and right? charge you for that restriction. So. <laughs> Possibly kick you out or level... Uh, definitely be penalties. Yeah. See, uh, we actually live in a uh, an HOA. Um, fortunately, we're renting. Um, I would actually never buy um, it, it is a very nice area. So there is that, um, the HOA seems to be pretty lenient on everything. Um, we can put up Halloween decorations and stuff, which we've been doing, you know, tis the season. Um, can't do anything in the front yard. Uh, we have a front tiny, tiny front yard and there's a couple of, uh, electrical boxes out there anyway. So not much we could do. Um, but we can do a couple of decorations here and there. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But other people who are um, buying, you know, they decorate their houses pretty crazy. So at least they're lenient. Um, it's nice for now, you know. Definitely wouldn't want to buy here, though. Yeah, I, I struggle with the idea of buying something that's not mine. Um, you know, if, if, if I buy it, I should be able to do what I want with it. Uh, I think the concept of renting is a little bit different because the owner still has some say over what what uh, happens with their property. Um, but yeah, um, but it, it's also it, the other part is you do have some say in whether or not you want to move into these these neighborhoods, and yeah. so there is that choice. Uh, nobody nobody's forcing us to move into a neighborhood that has those restrictions. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big person on uh, transparency, so as long as the HOA is above board with everything and fully out there of what they're all about, what everything is, then if you still decide to do that after you know everything, you can make an informed decision. Nothing wrong with it as far as I can see. So I know some areas, though, of the country now are kind of being like overran by HOAs. Uh, I've kind of seen that be an issue. And I mean... I wouldn't really want the government to step in and say, no, HOAs can't do this. Corporations can't do this or that. But I mean, if you have no other option in your city, but to live in an HOA or buy, I mean, I I recommend buying anyways, but you know, uh, if you have to rent like us in our situation right now, why we're building our lives together and everything, you know, it's like, uh, what would you do? What if you don't want to live in an HOA? So find that kind of interesting. It is. It is. Um, and, and we're all on different stages of that journey. Um, you know, and, and uh, I, I've lived 
I've lived in scenarios where I've couch surfed uh, in order to save up the <laughs> money yeah. to be able to make my next move. And so uh, it, it, it's all a journey. It's, it's just yeah. a journey. Okay. Well, let's break into the shopping cart theory. So this was something I came across um, actually several, several years ago. Um, it was something I kind of read and it just was like, I read it and I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of funny, you know? And it actually came up again in a conversation uh, with somebody that I ran into. And I was like, oh shit, I forgot about that. Ever since then, I went back and read this and kind of stuck with me. Um, and ever since it, I started paying attention, I started uh, actually watching when I go to grocery stores or uh, anytime I'm in a parking lot to where somebody has access to shopping carts. So to everyone listening or watching that does not know the shopping cart theory, I'll read a description. The shopping cart theory is the ultimate litmus test for whether a person is capable of self-governing. To return the shopping cart is an easy, convenient task and one which we all recognize as the correct, appropriate thing to do. To return the shopping cart is objectively right. There are no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. Simultaneously, it is not illegal to abandon your shopping cart. Therefore, shopping cart presents itself, the shopping cart presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you for not returning the shopping cart. No one will fine you or kill you for not returning the shopping cart. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart. You must return the shopping cart out of the goodness of your own heart. You must return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do because it is correct. A person who is unable to do this is no better than an animal, an absolute savage who can only be made to do what is right by threatening them with a law and the force that stands behind it. The shopping cart is what determines whether a person is a good or bad member of society. So, what's your take? So, I look at this from a couple of different perspectives. First and foremost, if you have an opportunity to do a kind thing, do it. Uh, if you're in a position to return that cart, uh, and that's going to be convenient for others, do it. As this uh, points out, you know, doesn't require a lot of effort for most people. Um, and nobody's forcing you to do it. Uh, where I take exception with it is this idea that it's just objectively true that you are good or you are bad based on whether or not you do this particular thing. And I think this shines a light on a bigger problem that we have in society where people make these blanket statements about what is objectively good or objectively bad. And if you fall on the wrong side of this thing, that you are just damned to hell. And 
society has lost the ability to consider nuance and the context of certain situations. Um, and then it goes on to vilify them in the most horrible way. Uh, you're, you're just a savage. Uh, it, it, that seems a little extreme considering we're talking about something that is basic as, you know, you know, whether or not you put your shopping cart away or not. Um, now, depending on if somebody was habitually not putting their cart away because screw it, let somebody else do it. And they had the ability to do it. Then, then maybe you could say not, not the nicest thing. Still don't know if that equates to savage, but probably not the nicest thing. And, pro and maybe, maybe could give some clues into somebody's character. Maybe, maybe, but I think the context that's missing here is why are we so quick to judge? What if that person that didn't put that card away is suffering from some sort of chronic pain and putting that card away is a far bigger inconvenience for them than it would be for the next person that's able-bodied to be able to, uh, to go and, you know, fetch the cart and, you know, walk, you know, you know, 30 seconds out of their way to do it. Um, I, I think it, it, that's the nuance here. And, and I don't like the language of this thing. I, I do think that there's some truth and uh, people are, are, are so caught up in themselves that they don't take just a split second to, to do something that might benefit others. And I think that is a problem. And so it does shine a light on that to a certain uh, extent, but it overemphasizes the point and it misses a lot of context. And so my overall thought is that whoever uh, wrote this is probably uh, just an angry person and uh, <laughs> one of those get off my lawn, lawn types. That's, that's my thought. Yeah. I, I can actually kind of sympathize with that because there is some part of me that is, you know, the get off my lawn type. You know, I don't think I would actually ever like physically like scare a child. <laughs> you know, I would at least have that in the front of my mind to uh, like, maybe I shouldn't traumatize this child for just stepping on my lawn, but ask like, hey, could you not? <laughs> but so the first place I came across this, um, it, it was a link, uh, like I said, years ago. Somebody had actually sent it to me, and it was posted on 4chan. So knowing 4chan, it could be somebody, so whoever posted that could probably not even believe in the whole thing. Uh, could have made it up, could have just had any opinion out there in the world. You know, it's the wild west of the internet. So I definitely agree with the aspect of leaving up or leaving uh, the choice up to somebody. Um, I, I do agree that we all know it's probably the right thing to do to put it away in the, the shopping cart return or to return it back inside the store. Um, I do find it kind of an asshole move. Um, I've actually watched people just leave the cart there. Um, being so absolute about it, I, I agree with you that that's definitely not, um, well, it's not fair because there are those X, X factors in society that we should be aware of. And to just paint everyone with the same paintbrush is ultimately 
unfair and intellectually dishonest in my opinion. Um, I, I tend to be a little bit harsher on society. Um, whether that's fair or not, I don't know. Um, I don't like the concept of fair anyways. Um, I usually think about these things ahead of time. I try to park near a cart return if I know the store is going to be busy. Um, by the time I get out of the grocery store, I want to get the fuck out of there. Like, I hate that place. I, especially Costco or any of these big box stores. People, I swear, seem to just forget that almost anyone exists, which is crazy because you're in a big square building <laughs> with, with like 400 people inside and just nobody cares. Um, so I think it does hold some validity and at least it can shine a light into um, the average uh, person and the way that they process information. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, as I'm thinking about this more, I'm thinking that, you know, if you're the type of person that does not like going to a big box store and doesn't like going to a Costco, uh, there are other options for most things to avoid doing that. But even if you insisted that, yeah, there's some things that I need to get from that particular place depending on where you're located, now there's a lot of services like grocery delivery. If that's yeah. going to bring you more peace of mind to avoid the crowds of the stores and the people that you you find uh, you, that you don't want to associate with, then hire somebody to do it. I mean, you're, you'll participate in a free market system and <laughs> uh, you know stimulate the economy by helping the, the delivery driver, the delivery uh, service company, uh, and, and you get you, the biggest win is you get to avoid doing that thing that you dislike doing. When we start thinking about like, what is value? Um, you know, everybody can determine value on their own. And, uh, for, for some people, the value of sitting at home and having the groceries delivered is worth the extra charge for the delivery. It's fucking bougie. <laughs> it, it, oh my god! I I got so spoiled during uh, you know, when when the when the pandemic first started, and uh, I live in uh, Washington State. They were um, a little heavy-handed with uh, trying to lock things down, tell people what to do, and so I embraced this idea of grocery delivery. And even as things have opened up, I have lazily. Uh, fallen in love with this idea that I don't have to go to the store if I don't want to go to the store. And so I, I am, uh, a, uh, I'm definitely a, a big customer for the, uh, Instacarts of the world. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, free market wins again, you know, I mean, we don't have a free, free market, but, uh, still have the ability to have new businesses like this when the need calls for it, at least. So yeah, I, <clears throat> I've, uh, I've done grocery pickup, which I also love. Um, if I don't want to pay the delivery fee, I'll still leave the house and just go do pickup. You know, um, almost every store offers it now because of the, the pandemic and everything getting shut down. So yep. there are those options. Um, unfortunately Costco doesn't, but you know, for myself personally, you know, I just usually go there for toilet paper, although I'm trying to move away from using that stuff anyways. 
a bidet just seems like such a great option after, you know, the, the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. <laughs> it, it, and I don't think it, it's a stretch to say that utilizing something moist uh, will help in cleansing you rather than just uh, dry paper. No. Uh, I, I, think, I think Americans really need to embrace the bidet idea a little bit more. Or yeah. some, some other form of um, uh, hygiene post-bowel uh, movement. Yeah, I agree. What sold me on it immediately was the fact of they were like, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was saying, well, if you got poop on yourself somewhere else, you wouldn't just wipe it off with a piece of paper and then just go about your day. You would actually go and wash it. I was like, yeah, exactly. So why would you not want to get a bidet and just have like a butt towel to pat your butt dry? <laughs> like, it just makes sense yes. to me. Absolutely. But yeah, this the shopping cart theory, almost like anything in life, in my opinion, I think it does bring an interesting piece to this puzzle we call life or, you know, these social contracts that we deal with. And I do think it should be taken into consideration. Um, I do agree with you. It shouldn't, probably shouldn't paint everyone with such a broad brush as if everyone's just a savage. Now, there are these uh, video channels, these content creators on YouTube who actually go around to people, film them leaving their shopping carts, and then approach them about it. If, it, if nobody's watched these, definitely go look them up on YouTube. Uh, don't have any channels to recommend per se, but it's absolutely hilarious. Some of these people just freak out. They just lose their shit over the fact that somebody is approaching them, telling them that they did something wrong. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I It's not an issue that I care enough about patrolling... Um, and videotaping people in a, in a parking lot to do. Uh, I, I think there's more important issues out there. But I, I think the one thing that it could do is the very topic itself forces you to think about what are your own behaviors. Am I the person that puts the, the cart away? Am I the person that uh, puts it up on the curb every once in a while, assuming that they've got people that get paid to, to retrieve those? And so I'm, I'm guilty. I've done that from time to time. Me and, too. And so it's you know it's it's thought provoking enough on on such a basic activity to just make you think about your own behaviors and hopefully beyond just where you put the shopping cart uh you know hopefully that can extend to whether or not uh i'll tell you who savages the people that pee on seats in public bathrooms <laughs> yes so whoever's doing that like can we have like a pee on the seat uh, theory because those people are savages <laughs> uh, and 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 I don't care what their issue is other than you know they maybe they've just got some sort of disorder that makes them spray everywhere because uh, I'm not accepting drunk as an excuse because no, you know what hell no if you're if you're drunk guess what sit down dude sit 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 on the commode and uh, you know point it towards the, the the watering hole and let it loose it, there is no reason why we should ever have to walk into a bathroom. Um, and see uh, urine on the seat, savages. Yeah. And if anybody's listening and you've done that, if you uh, everybody's seen <laughs> the pee on the seat, but mm -hmm. if you're the person that pees on the seat, you are a savage. Yeah, and if you are that person, you know exactly who you are. 
<laughs> you'll never admit it, and that's fine. And I hope you know internally you are a savage. I 100% agree. That's so funny. You know, there's a there's an extra layer of savage though, uh, because you could you could make the argument that somebody thought they were a good aim and they missed, or and they, and they got a little spray or something happened, yeah. or something startled them, and so whatever they got off track. So there's a few excuses that might creep into this, but I'd love to hear somebody's excuse for walking into that dive bar bathroom and seeing somebody with number two right next <laughs> to the bowl. Mm-hmm. I've seen this far too many Me too. times. Me too. It, 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 whoever's doing that, I don't know what's beyond savage, but you're that. You're, you're whatever <laughs> is worse than being a savage. And yeah, I, I totally agree. And that, that brings up the interesting point that we haven't talked about yet. Are, uh, so both scenarios are the employees that have to deal with this. So I actually discussed uh, the shopping cart theory in a solo episode of my show. And I brought up how it is kind of an asshole move because even though the people do get paid to go out and go fetch the shopping carts, usually an entry-level job, some high school student, early college student who's trying to work through the summer or whatever, But sometimes, you know, especially nowadays, you know, there are some older people that will take a job if that's what they need in their life. Um, So you are making their job harder by having to go up and round up all the carts throughout the parking lot, Um, which most of the time isn't that big of a deal. But if it's 112 degrees outside, like in Phoenix, like that is a real fucking asshole move to make their job harder. Uh, and same like in my area, if it's, you know, freezing rain and there's just like feet, like a foot of snow in the parking lot, like it's a real asshole move to just make their life harder. And they definitely don't get paid enough to be able to go take care of your ass. Um, so I think that does add another layer to it. Now, as far as the, uh, any sort of a bathroom accident, which is I'm sure what they would call it, but it's, you know, their responsibility. I don't see any excuse for that. It's just wrong, period. There's no excuse. Well, and let's say there was a legitimate reason of how you accidentally got urine on the toilet seat. Are you telling me that you couldn't figure out how to, at very least, wipe it off? I'm not asking you to sterilize it, but could you wipe it off? I mean, that would be helpful well i mean i've dealt with some people in public before who definitely are not thinking about others Uh, there there are those people so the the aspect of thinking like oh it's gonna be somebody's job to deal with this probably never crossed their mind and even if it did they would probably say fuck it i don't care anyways so i mean there are those people uh I'm not really sure what to do with those people. Um, maybe ostracize them out of some social groups, you know, seems like an association. Yeah, exactly. Tell them they're an asshole and you don't want to see them again. (laughs) Like, but yeah, it's just, uh, I do think it is an important, important part of the puzzle. And you made a really good point to where it maybe the importance of this shopping cart theory is to make you think of your own actions. 
maybe it's not really what it describes, but it's meant for the reader. And if it sticks with you, makes an impact on you, then you can think about it and be like, oh, well, you're right. I should just put my shopping cart away. It takes me less than a minute and somebody else will start the car and we'll take off. Or you'll pre-plan and either take the shopping cart bag, put it park near a shopping cart return. And I don't know, you'll figure something out or you're just an asshole and just won't. (laughs) Yep. So yeah, it's, I don't know. You come across these things, you know, and there's just, it's just interesting. It just sparks the, I don't know, for me, it always just like sparked the creative thinking juices, you know, trying to tear it apart, break it down. Like, what about this? What about that? I just get a big kick out of it. So I thought, I thought you would definitely get a kick out of it. No, I, I like it. I, I mean, if, if we think about it though, right. If, if we read this theory and only think about the other people in this world, right? Like that that's this, this problem solving fallacy. I want to fix a problem that somebody else has it, right? We go and we identify, Oh, that's the person that's too rude to put the shopping cart away. Uh, and, and, and we ignore that laundry list of, of, uh, of what are the things that we're supposed to be working on that would make us more considerate, uh, that would make us just, uh, you know, a better, uh, bit better, happier, whatever the, the case may be. We ignore our own faults, but we will, you know, conjure up these theories, you know, call people savages for not doing, uh, you know, things that we don't like that what they're doing. And we ignore, you know, the man in the mirror. And, and I think that's, that's one of the things about, you know, thinking, uh, you know, about individualism. Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely uh, against collective thought. I think a lot of bad things come from that. Uh, but if you truly want to be uh, for the individual, you, that requires looking at yourself and figuring out what you can do to be better, to set an example. And, you know, if, if, you, if we want more people putting their carts away, start with yourself. If you put the card away, maybe you'll start a trend. Maybe other, maybe you'll shame somebody else that was about to leave the cart for them to think, oh, okay, that guy's putting his away. I don't want to be the <laughs> asshole, so maybe I'll put mine away. Uh, I, I think if we just worried a little bit more about what we're doing and a little bit less about what other people are doing, we would probably land on better policies and better outcomes in general. Yeah, really interesting point. And I've kind of thought the same thing to where so a lot of the issues that we have in modern society, uh, specifically in our country, because I can only at least speak for this country because I live in here. um, It seems as though we got here due to parenting choices. And of course it took decades and decades but we've slowly turned into what we are now. It, our society today is the result of generations of choices. Um, it wasn't this way at one point. And to change that, it will take several generations to get back to a better society. But it's all going to start with raising your children, you as in anybody. Um, it's going to start with the next generation teaching them why 
these things are important, why society is better off, which is actually why I asked you the first question of why anyone should give a shit about liberty in the first place. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very solid point. When we, when we think long term, it's easier to look at the effects of a causal chain. The problem is, is we don't think long term. We think, you know, what is our next meal? You know, what are we going to do to entertain ourselves? Um, and and for those that have the capacity for and 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 the <clears throat> discipline to think about things more long-term and, and to think about a timeline of not just their life, but like, let's just say if you go and go on ancestry.com and you look and you can look at the choices that your family made. Right. Um, I look at some aspects of my family, what I do uh, an ancestry lookup and you can see where it gets really muddy where if somebody decided to get married four different times <laughs> and have kids with different, spouses all of a sudden the tree goes in all these different directions where you could see some very basic decision making where it's like okay that's the one i'm gonna plan a life with <laughs> that one yep. i'm gonna have kids i'm gonna follow that type of an order uh and again nobody's saying you have to do it you just got to be accountable for whatever decision you do make and and there you know there is a causal chain every decision that you make the decision that you made to invite me on here uh, you know, I could say something very stupid and people will say, why'd you bring that guy on? Uh, you know, or, uh, it, you know, I, this, this could spark a conversation. This could spark a thought in that maybe there's one individual out there that chronically pisses on toilet seats out there that heard <laughs> that and said, holy shit, they're talking to me. And so maybe we're playing a critical role in this causal chain and maybe that decision to stop pissing on toilet seats leads to all kinds of better decisions, which, you know, puts that person in a better spot, you know, to be the right person, to meet Mrs. Right, to have a family. And who knows, that kid might be the person that goes on to champion the cause of liberty for all of us. And so the causal chain is, it's this huge thing. And, and we really don't know. Uh, the butterfly how effect. Our yeah, we, we don't know what our behavior is going to inspire, but I could say this having good people in your life uh, and making good decisions. Uh, the evidence that I've seen in my life is that when I'm making good decisions, good things happen. And even when that, even when you are making good decisions, bad shit's going to happen. And so you have mm -hmm. to account for how you're going to respond to that. But I think just sitting down sometime and thinking uh, of a longer period of time, Think about your parents, your grandparents. Think about your future, your kids, and what do you want for your grandkids? And what would you like to see the world look like a hundred years from now? I don't believe that the goals that I have around liberty are going to be recognized within the next, say, uh, you know, presidential cycle. In fact, I don't think the change is going to come from that area. But if we nip at it a little bit and plant seeds everywhere we go, Maybe a hundred years from now, you and I might, you and I will probably not be around to see the kind of changes that you and I want to see in this world. But if your kids, if my kids get to see that, or even if their grandkids get to see that, maybe it's the great grandkids or the great, great grandkids. But if we plant the seeds to do that, it's still viable. It, 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 a, a good exercise to think about time is go look at a redwood tree that's been cut. 
where you can count the rings. It's a very humbling experience when you think that, uh, you know, here in the U.S., you know, we have an average life expectancy of, what, 76 years, right? Something like that, maybe 78 years. When you look at how many years a tree has been there, right, like, and what that tree, you know, if that tree could talk, if that tree could be on a podcast, what story could that tree tell? You know, we only get this, this, this limited amount of time, which in the grand scheme of history is little, but that doesn't mean that we can't be impactful. And that's why we need to think about the people that have, you know, planted a seed, caused, you know, through that little pebble in the ocean that caused the ripple that, you know, that became something. And so every one of your behaviors does matter. So even putting the shopping cart away, it does matter. And, and whether you choose to do it or choose not to do it, uh, maybe just be more mindful. Fuck. If that, if, if that's the lesson here is to just be a little bit more mindful. I think that, that's, that's a win right there. Yeah. Well said. I, I totally agree as well. You know, it's, even if somebody chose to not put the shopping cart away, if they were just honest about it, that that's what they chose to do and they realized what the ramifications at least could be and they were honest about that, I can at least respect that. Still think they're an asshole, but I can be like, all right, you at least know. Like, you know you're making the world... uh a worse place or whatever, you know? Um, that's why it, it, you come across these people very seldomly, but I have come across them and it's honest communist or socialist who know exactly what they're advocating for and they fully admit it. I can talk to those people because they're honest and we have had conversations, uh, been in the same clubhouse rooms where, some people are completely delusional to what they are advocating for and still advocating for it. And there's just no talking to them at all. So yeah, that's interesting point. And just wanted to throw that one in there. So let's yeah, anytime see. we could take a jab at a commie, we should do it. Oh um, yeah. That's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the one group I have no problem taking a jab at because if you don't know why it's bad, then uh, maybe by us poking fun, uh, may maybe you would go and read some uh, some literature that uh, that would counter those those points of view. And if you really are married to those those thoughts and you really tr genuinely believe that that is the best thing, well then fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Speaking of which, I'll I'll talk to you the, talk to you about this after. But uh, I was actually in a, uh, invited onto a a podcast that uh, is ran by three communists and they said I could bring a guest. So I'll have to talk to you about that. I think you would be a, a great guest along with me. So well, we'll, we'll talk about that after, but so let's see, let's change gears here a little bit. Go for so it. the against me argument, I have a little excerpt here to read just like with the shopping cart theory in case nobody is, familiar with it. So I'm sure somebody at some point in time has come up with this argument before. Um, but where I found it and who is the, the person who is known for championing, championing it today um, is Stefan Molyneux. Um, 
you either love them or you hate them, pretty much. I've ran into nobody at this point <laughs> that's like, eh, he's okay. <laughs> but, so, the against me argument. Stefan's entire margu- argument can be boiled down to against me? Are you willing to initiate force against me? Now, this comes from the idea that all government is nothing but force. It starts with that premise. So let's start with with that. How do you feel about government itself? Is government force? What is force? You know, let's kind of go down that road first. It's it's such an interesting question. And you and I have uh, touched on this and, and danced around it a little bit. Um, I'm not an anarchist. I'm not 100% anti-government. I'm certainly anti-coercive uh, government. Uh, I, I think that's, that's a problem. But when I think of libertarian principles such as the NAP, or if you take it back even further to um, you know, John Stuart Mill and the harm principle, and you think, okay, I should be free to do what I want to do provided – I'm not harming others or with the nap, you know, uh, you, you know, like aggressing, you know, someone else. The, the, the issue that I take with like anarchy and the idea of not having government is you, ha- in my opinion, if, if the non-aggression principle is the end all be all thing that we must defend, well, then we have to have a method for defending it. And I just don't buy the idea that you're going to do that without certain systems in place that I believe I'm convinced that government, despite how flawed they are at doing some of these things, would be better than having uh, no government around it. And so what I am a, a, a minimalist when it comes to uh, government. I would like to see a military to be able to protect us against uh, foreign foes. I think that's necessary. I don't like what we've asked our military to do. I think that's important to state. Um, But I do think that some of the existential threats that we have, uh, if you're going to have anarchy, are you going to be able to convince your enemies that, uh, that they should also be anarchists? Because if they're putting together... Uh, well-funded nation states with, uh, with with ideologies that that would directly violate the NAP. You do need to have uh, the ability to repel those types of threats, and so I, I'm definitely a fan of having a strong military, uh, but doing the right thing with that strong military, and that the the right thing is protecting the life, um, the liberty, and the property of its citizens. And in order to do that properly. Uh, existential threats are not the only threats. We're going to have uh, problems right here in our own backyard, in which case you're going to need a court system. And I know that it's really popular to shit on police. I'm not one of those guys that shits on police. I shit on bad police. I shit on the ones that are in, uh, that are enforcing bad laws. But for the most part, I look at the laws that they've been asked to enforce, and I say, well, that's, again, if we're going to look at a causal chain, you know, let's look at, you know, you know, how did these laws come to be and wh- what is the process that we need to set forward to, you know, to have more just laws on the books? 
And there's a lot of things we can do when it comes to police reforms, such as, you know, uh, ending qualified immunity, ending no-knock warrants, uh, ending civil asset forfeiture, ending the war on drugs. There's a ton of things that we could do. But, uh, but yeah, again, my take on government in general, I don't believe that all government is coercive. I think that the way that we've deployed it certainly looks that way. Um, but yeah, I am a minarchist. In fact, I just launched, you'll be the first person that I've talked about this publicly with, I've just launched Fuck a caucus, yeah. the MinCap caucus, uh, because I don't believe everybody that runs around calling themselves an ANCAP uh, is actually uh, an anarchist. I think that probably the majority of them are capitalists. Uh, but when we get to talking and having conversations, most people agree that there should be some level of government. And uh, and and here's the other thing. I don't shit on anarchists either. I, I actually think that if if what they propose could work, I'm open to that. But we should all agree that uh, in order to go from where we're at to minarchy or anarchy, minarchy would be the first step. And so, like, we're all headed the, in that same direction. So we should not fight with each other. We should uh, make sure that we know that the enemy is those that want to expand the power of government and to use coercive measures. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I don't, I don't know. I was a little long winded there, but um, I think you get my point. Definitely. So a couple of points, you know, I like to uh, keep on track so I don't forget anything. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I think this is my type of personality. Of course I am the only anarcho-capitalist, you know, I, I think that's a libertarian thing. You know, you're not a real libertarian sort of <laughs> argument. I'm the only real one. Um, I typically don't like other anarchists. So anybody listening or watching, I consider myself to be an anarcho-capitalist. Um, any anarcho-communist, you can go fuck yourself. It doesn't exist. Um, but I don't, even, even though I am a, uh, consider myself to be an anarcho-capitalist, I don't typically like other anarchists only because what they end up describing is the exact same society we have now. Like, like they might name, you know, these solutions, other things, but it's the exact same thing. So it's like, no, you're not an anarchist or you at least might believe that you are, but you're not. Um, your ideal world is going to introduce the same sort of society that we have now. Um, I truly believe that. So after the conversation uh, we had the other night uh, with all, all of those people, I sat and I thought about it and I, uh, I tend to write in a journal just to get some thoughts out, you know, and I sat and wrote this out. And I don't think I'll ever be able to finish thinking about this my entire life. So I do concede to the point that pure, like, Ancapistan is unrealistic. Only because it's the opposite end of communism and socialism. Communism and socialism, like, you hear about it. I mean, well, smart people hear about it and go, you're crazy. <laughs> But some people get caught up in it and they hear about it and they think it's like this utopia. And I kind of believe the same thing about Ancapistan, that 
it's so perfect that it's a story. It's a great story. It might be a good, um, it might be something great to achieve or like to, uh, how do I put this to like, keep your eye on the prize and keep working towards a more free society. I have no problem with that, but the reality of it is that it will probably never happen at any point in human history. But to advocate for smaller government is, yeah, like why why wouldn't you uh, try to promote that no matter where you are along the spectrum, which is why I think some of uh, the people within the libertarian community should just get the fuck over themselves and realize that we all have a common enemy and uh, we can argue about the best way to govern Ancapistan after. Um, yeah. I think one one way I like to think about what you're saying, because I think you're spot on. Um, the way that I like to think about this is that if there was a bill to lower a particular tax, you pick, pick whatever tax it is. If there was if there was a bill to lower your tax, you would support that. I would support that. All of our uh, minarchist friends would support that, right? All of our uh, anarchist friends would support that. Now, yeah. would we like it to be a deeper tax cut than whatever gets proposed? Of course. Would we uh, perhaps be on board with eliminating the tax completely? I bet there's a lot of us that would, <laughs> right? But we would take that incremental gain. And I think the, um, uh, you know, when, when we start striving for this perfection and this utopia and we're willing to sacrifice incremental gains and things that would be directionally correct. I think that's a mistake. And, uh, and, and so again, it's not to say that, uh, that that in destination that some people are dreaming of, it is impossible. I, I struggle to see how it would work, but the fact that I struggle to see how it work it is, I, I struggle to see how spaceships get to Mars. So like it, me not understanding how it would work is is not indicative of whether or not it would work. It just means I don't understand how it would work. Um, and and where where I got to you know my thinking around these thoughts, um, you know I, I I read a lot of uh, you know philosophers and uh, you know I know Ayn Rand is uh, controversial to some, but I, I I think I think she's spot on with a lot of stuff. She I, has I, her place. I, yeah, she, she's she's right about a lot of things. And I think, you know, you got to give the devil its due. Um, but the one that I point people to when they're thinking about this topic of like, when we talk about less government, how how much less? Like, no government or just a little bit less? Should we get back to the, you know, to the, the, uh, the Constitution? Should we go back to the articles, right? Uh, at, at what point would that be ideal? And I think the best book that I've ever read that covers this would be uh, Anarchy, State, and Utopia uh, by mm. Robert Nozick. That is a great um, one. He wrote this thing in 1974. I mean, we're approaching this thing being 50 years old. And I, here's what's really interesting. I was, I, I was, I was <clears throat> in a clubhouse room the other day, and uh, the topic of this book came up, and uh, and. Uh, Karen Ann Harless was the one that made, made the comment that reading that book is what convinced her to be an anarchist. And so, which is odd because the book is all about, you know, uh, selling the idea of, of minarchy, 
But here, here's what I would say. If you have somebody like Karen Ann that's saying that that led her to anarchy and you have someone like myself that's saying that that book led me to minarchy, like if you if we're talking to people that are that are advocating for keeping the duopoly alive and, and supporting these large, ever expanding governments, it's probably a good book to have anybody read just because wherever you land in that spectrum of, of smaller government that book seems to be a game changer in in helping people understand why less government is better. Yeah, I totally agree. And by the way, great recommendation. Um, I'm of this belief right now that uh, people should be putting their investments uh, in anything other than the U.S. fiat dollar. <laughs> and uh, so I've been joking with uh, one of my closest friends, uh, Books and Bullion buy books because they can censor the internet, but they can't censor a physical book and buy bullion because it's at least stable. And that's definitely a book I would recommend anyone to have on their shelves. Um, and if you get the digital version, find somebody that will print it for you and bind it because you'll need it. Um, I would like to also recommend, uh, since it's the topic of, uh, Stefan Molyneux, his two books, Practical Anarchy and Everyday Anarchy. You can actually get free versions on his website, um, just the PDF versions. Uh, if you do buy them offline, it's they're both less than 20 bucks. So, and uh, I will say about him real quick that I like him because most of the time when people talk philosophy, it's always the classics. Very seldomly, very, very seldomly, do you hear modern philosophers? And that was always my question. So whether you like them or not, at least check out those books. Uh, anybody listening or watching? Um, because that's what turned me into a anarchist to where whether I believe it can happen or not, I will strive for it. Um, because I do believe that it, like... It's possible, just so improbable that it's, you know, almost impossible. It's just like right on the verge, you know, but, uh, you know, raising people generation after generation like this, it's a world that could exist well beyond our time if we just push these ideas. So um, my opinion, though, is government force? I think it always dissolves into force, no matter what. Uh, just look at our country, uh, let's see, a little over 200 years or so, and give or take some in some direction, but <clears throat> it's dissolved into what it is now, which is just the American empire, and we slaughter people all over the world for the highest bidder, um, sometimes just because a sociopath or psychopath is in charge and just wants to do it. So I think it can always dissolve into it. Uh, I think there are ways to avoid that, but that takes responsibility on the half of the citizens to be vigilant and to be involved and informed, which typically we are not now. So I have a question for you though, along now, this line. So what, why is force automatically a bad thing? Interesting. 
Hmm. Let's come back to that real quick because yeah, I want to okay. I want to give a, a a good enough answer because that is a great question. Um, so to wrap this up, well, not to wrap this up, but to uh, you know, as they say on Clubhouse, to I'll land my plane here. By the way, I I hate that. <laughs> I don't know why it bothers me so much, but I just roll my <laughs> eyes every time. Um, <clears throat> I think at least. At the very, very least, the paranoia about how governance can turn so evil is a good thing for people to have. Whether they believe in anarchy or minarchy or whatever the hell you believe, unless it's statism, because fuck those guys. But as long as you believe in freedom, the healthy paranoia of what it could turn into... I think is something that should be kept into or in the front of your mind. So why is force automatically bad? Um, let's see. Well, to take me out of my house and force me to go work in somebody's uh, vegetable field, that's wrong because it's against my will as a person. Um, I, so there's another part of this forcefully being an asshole to someone. Do I believe that that's a violation of the nap? No. Um, because of free association and personal responsibility in how you react to situations in life. Um, so I believe my answer would depend on exactly what level of force. I don't necessarily think it's force itself um, is always inherently bad, but it's the level of force. Yeah. And it's the context, right? So the reason I ask this is I, I, I often hear the word, you know, force, you know, government uses force. Well, in some cases I want them to, and, and here would be an example. If somebody murders somebody that I love, I would like for if, – if I don't get my hands on them, I would like uh, – because I'm going to use force if, if, if that happens, right? Yeah, agreed. Uh, if, 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 we're gonna, if we're going to outsource that to whether it's the government or in, in Kapistan, you know, some private defense agency, right? I would want somebody that if, if that murderer – uh, did not want to bring themselves in, I would want somebody to be able to forcibly bring that person to justice because uh, I, I, I think the, it comes down to whether or not we're operating uh, with the level of uh, malevolence or benevolence. And you know, are we doing the right thing? If we found ourselves in an armed conflict, a military conflict where we were drug into the war and somebody attacked us utilizing force. I mean, heck just in general, self-defense, if somebody assaults you, you have a God given yeah. right, or, you know, depending on your worldview, a, a natural right to defend yourself. And so, and, and I would say that again, appropriate force, somebody takes a swing at you. If you, you know, ch choke them to death, that's probably a little bit extreme. But if you, you know, if, if you, if you, you know, 
put put him on the ground and uh, ended the conflict utilizing force. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And so great I, point. I, I, yeah. So so the the force piece is that word to me. Like I think it's maybe used in a way where it's like we should be against force. I think we should we should be uh, against unjust use of force. And I think we have countless examples of that where you and I would say that's an overstep. That is egregious. That 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 is not within the the, the scope of what uh y- you know what would be deemed reasonable force, right? And uh, and then what are the things that we're going to use force against, right? Uh, I mean, you know, now we're forcing people to you know in in uh you know into medical procedures. We've given away body autonomy, and there's people that are advocating that medical coercion. Now that's a force that I am against, and I think you and I have talked about. I'm not anti-vax. Well, certain... you are now by the new definition. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but... they they can, they can define it any way they want, but <laughs> but uh, in but actuality, I... no, you're not. <laughs> right. I, well, I I am vaccinated, so they can kiss yeah. my ass. And, and uh, what, what, here's here's the more proper term, uh, and and it should be for all of us that like freedom is to be pro medical choice. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if, if you know, why, why can't I choose what I want to do? I chose to get vaccinated. Others choose not to, that should be okay. And it's not the unvaccinated's job to protect the vaccinated. That's what the fucking vaccine is for. Like if the vaccine works the way that they advertised when I decided to get it, we, we, we wouldn't even be talking about the people that, that aren't getting vaccinated. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, that's a very very great point i think it would be uh not impossible to argue with but it would take uh, a very intelligent person oh, quite a while to sit and work that out and probably not come up with a good argument <laughs> so maybe and it it's looking like we're gonna end up having to have a part two to this at some point which i kind of uh, already planned on anyways <laughs> so I would say it's the initiation of the use of force, which is the immoral aspect of it. Would you agree? Again, the initiation of force based on if, if, if it's, it's the context, right? You know, like if it's immoral use of force, then sure. But self-defense, man, I'm going to use whatever force I deem, you know, relevant for the situation. And, uh, and, and I think, I think that's common sense. I think most yeah. people in, just kind of like acknowledge that. Um, but yeah, the, but if, if, if I'm not bothering anybody, people putting their hands on me, that would be an unnecessary, unwelcomed, uh, uh, yeah, they would be greeted with, uh, with an equal and opposite force, uh, should that happen. So, yeah, it's a complex issue yeah. though, because. It- it is. You have to figure out where do you calibrate? Where do you draw that line? And who chooses what is reasonable? Who chooses what's not reasonable? It's, it's, it's it gets complicated. Well, and sometimes day, unreasonable things will happen to you, you know, and then that also teaches you where the line is. You know, I, I've been punched in the face a few times, <laughs> you know, uh, a few times I'm sure I deserved it, but um, well, maybe not deserved, deserved it. There's probably a better way to handle it, but you know, the fact that it happened, I'm not too upset about it. So, um, it, it did definitely teach me 
when I was a lot younger and a lot cockier to uh, watch my fucking mouth. You know, maybe I shouldn't just pop off with whatever I could possibly say. Um, which probably is a, a, a good lesson for a lot of at least younger males to learn, you know? Um, yeah, so I guess it's uh, really the intent, but do you believe that there's something inherent inside of most people that just allows us to know right from wrong? Or is right from wrong strictly something we are taught? That is such a... We, we're going to probably have to table that one because that we, we can go all day about that topic. Okay. <laughs> um, we will do a part two, maybe a part yeah. three at some point. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to that one. Because, yeah, that, that's an episode in and of itself. So, so interesting question I, I wrote down because I wanted to make sure and ask you. Um, because of the minarchist thing, are you an open borders libertarian? <laughs> it's an interesting question. Uh, border security? <laughs> I, well, first of all, let me just say this. I believe that nations are entitled to have borders. This... Uh, there are people, you know, we can have this argument, um, but uh, there are people that say that, uh, oh, these borders, this is construct. I, I envision this world in which there is no borders. Well, if we're going to have no borders, I'd like to see <coughs> nations that uh, nation states that do believe in borders that have their own ideas around what liberty should look like or what lack of liberty should look like before a, a, a liberty, a more liberty-minded nation could open their borders to less liberty-minded uh, folks. I, I, I think it's important that we all get on a similar train of thought um, because I, I, I believe that liberty is important enough to defend, and if there are people that want to threaten that liberty, then I think that necessitates borders. And I, I wish we did live in the kind of utopian society where we didn't need them. Um, I, you know, there's some very intelligent, you know, just beautiful souls that talk about this idea of like open borders. But when we start getting into what the real threats are and you and you talk about like, OK, well, uh, knowing that those threats are out there, what would you want the border to look like? You know, what would, what what rules would you implement if you were the benevolent king uh, or queen? And, uh, and typically you'll find that, uh, that there are some guidelines. We'll, we'll, we'll always differ on where, what those rules should be. Uh, but, but I, in my opinion, liberty being something that's worth defending, eh, we've got to have borders, unfortunately. Yeah. See, I'm not an open borders libertarian. Um, I find personal issue with it. So first I will say, in theory, I agree. Open borders, because technically the only border that should matter is your property, that your property line. Uh, so in theory, um, and I'm sure e even if I work that out a, a bit, I might actually disagree. I don't know. I haven't really put the time into uh, the theoretical of it. But the actuality of it is, even if, it was the case that open borders are the right moral thing to do. There's 
places and people in the world, cultures in the world that don't give a fuck about that. So are we really willing to deal with that type or level of threat just for this uh, philosophical ideal that is impractical because some cultures are better than others. Uh, So I don't believe in cultural relativism. I'm sure that pisses somebody off right there. (laughs) And not everybody has great intentions. Um, Regardless of what people believe, 9-11 did happen. um, And somebody is responsible for it. So that is not a impossible threat. Not everyone likes this idea of liberty or not everyone can comprehend it. So I myself am not an open borders libertarian only because I know some cultures don't mesh well with others. Um, Should people have the right to be able to come here? I think that, yeah, there should be maybe some sort of a vetting process I don't want a hardcore criminal that can't do anything in another country um, because of their criminal record. They're uh, violent. I don't want them here. Um, but somebody that somebody else that wants to come here, maybe start a job, start a family, whatever. Okay, I don't see any issue in letting them in. You know, um, I don't like the idea of the government doing it. You know, maybe there's some uh, elected board or appointed officials that could possibly do it and we could rotate them out every six months or some. I I don't know. There's another solution. But I am personally not an open borders libertarian. And it's a it's a big issue right now going on within that circle. And it's just like one or the other. You're you're not or you're a statist if you uh, don't believe in open borders. Yeah, well, you know, it's important to, to uh, for me to clarify my position on this. Like, I, I believe borders make sense, but like everything that we do at a government level, like, who makes that call? Mm-hmm. I personally believe that the states that have borders are probably in a better position to make a call of what their border policies should be than the federal government that's not there and doesn't know, you know, clearly and intimately what those threats might be, what the opportunities could be if, if you change border policy. I, so, uh, you know, if, if, if I were to sit down with people in a particular state that, that uh, bordered Canada or, or Mexico and was to hear from, uh, you, you know, from a thoughtful argument one direction or the other, that's the body that should be making that decision and not the federal government. And, and so, again, I, I'll have my opinions, and I think you and I are probably uh, very closely aligned on where we would land with, with uh, our opinion on it. But I think process of who makes that decision is probably the most important thing, and I would love to see our border states making those calls. Yeah, good point, though, because I, I think somebody in Montana and somebody in Texas would have two very different opinions on how to govern the border. There's not too many people trying to sneak in through Canada's border. First of all, it's hard to get into Canada because they have a strong border. Second of all, not too many people are trying to sneak in through there because the southern border to the United States is wide open, as we can see of recent news. So, yeah, I 
I don't know. It, like most things, and I think we could agree that uh, you've get, really got to take it situation by situation. Uh, you can apply some general uh, philosophy to these, uh, some general principles, but in when you get down to these issues, like you really do got to take it issue by issue. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. And unfortunately these arguments tend to get divided among party lines. And, uh, there's these talking points that get crafted out where no genuine or new thought or any room for nuance is even welcomed it's culture uh, plays you know, a big part in that now too. Absolutely. And, and, and so I, I think examining these things, because when you were saying, Hey, it's, uh, it's not, it's not as easy to come in from Canada. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if that's true or not. I can take your word for it, but like, I, I don't live, I don't live near that border. Uh, in fact, I'm, I, I'm far enough from the Canadian border, uh, where I just don't know what that looks like. And, and <clears throat> the United States is a big place. We've got a it lot of, a lot of areas. So maybe there's, maybe there are places where people are coming across willy nilly and I wouldn't know that. And that's why I think the locals would have a better grasp on a, if it's happening and B, is it causing a problem? Um, you know, and, uh, when we strip ourselves of all these like political, um, you know, ideologies that force us into like either being, you know, uh, open border or, you know, close the board, whatever you're, you're, position is on these things i think you you have the devil is always in the details you got to look at the specifics what, what problem is it causing what problem uh, the other thing is potential problems right i'm i'm not a thought police guy so there's a lot of people this could happen i'm much less interested in what could happen than you know than what like what is a problem and what do we you know like if, if we could identify that there is a problem then it's much easier to justify, you know, solutions. I, I I'm not a guy that's, uh, you know, looking to create problems, uh, just so I can, you know, uh, you, you know, put down my way of thinking about, you know, border security. It's, again, it's it's so nuanced, and I'll leave that up to the people, of the border states, to figure that stuff out. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'll I'll say this, and then we'll uh, kind of you know, reset. But as far as open borders go, I'll accept open borders. If we can wipe away the welfare state completely, if we can wipe away the welfare state. I'll, I'll accept open borders, but you can't have both. It's unsustainable. One or the other, you know, complete border control, which means border control, both directions or a welfare state. I, I just don't see those two programs um, being compatible with one another to where uh, we would be sustainable. Um, we, bo- we, we have both of them, and we are in a very terrible position. So I think we know that <clears throat> having both of these don't work. Um, so we've got to try something else or accept our downfall. And that's my I, I'd agree with you. I would agree with you there. Uh, but when I think of uh, welfare and I think of entitlements, I don't just think of the entitlements at the individual level. I think of the entitlements that we provide to corporations. Corporate so, welfare. Yeah. 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 Fuck so, corporate so welfare. 
<laughs> right. If we're going to have a conversation about, um, you know, welfare reform, I think it needs to be a broader conversation on uh, that includes everything from foreign aid to corporate welfare uh, to social welfare and, and really open up uh, a more fundamental conversation about what is the proper role of government and why are they taking money from taxpayers to pay for these things? And, you know, can can we have a just a more foundational conversation about what what is their proper role? Uh, I don't believe their proper role is to provide a social safety net. I don't believe their proper role is to provide a, uh, a safety net uh, for corporations in the form of, um, uh, you know, tax loopholes and uh, and um, as well as uh, subsidies. I don't think that that makes a lot of sense. And when it comes to foreign aid, I don't buy that crap either. Um, I don't either. Know, we, we go around, we defend the world, quote unquote, um, and, and we fund their military. You know, why don't we um, why don't why don't we profit from this stuff? If, if uh, you know, if, if Israel and other nations want to arm themselves, we should, uh, you know, they should have the right to do that. We should sell them the weapons. We shouldn't be yeah. giving them the weapons. Um, well, at least so, at taxpayer expense, you know, like, and we should have multiple companies putting in bids, you know, let's uh, make the military more than one organization. Um, and the, the government subsidies, all that does is just turn into fascism. Because if, if you're funded by the government, you become the government. I think uh, big tech is a great example of that. Uh, some of these, like Facebook, they're, they're doing the bidding of people. And I mean, Jen Psaki admitted that um, live on camera. You know, they, they just discuss who to ban on Facebook. The government tells Facebook who they want to ban. So government subsidies, like that just leaves, leads to fascism every time. So... But yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. And big tech is is a culprit. But don't forget big banks, big mm. pharma and uh, the Fed. And, and <laughs> it, there, there, there are there. There's a lot of industries uh, where the intermingling of the corporations and the government is just a little too cozy. Uh, Mussolini would be certainly very proud of, uh, of where we're at. Uh, in oh, terms he would of be jealous. Oh, yes, he would. He, he, he would. I mean. An argument could be made that uh, you know that we've um, you know we've we've soundly defeated communism because it hasn't worked anywhere. But uh, fascism, uh, you could argue, fascism is winning. Yeah, pretty funny how uh, you know Orange Man was uh, the great fascist dictator, and uh, we're in a uh, I would at least personally argue a much worse position, um, not defending Orange Man. But, you know, out of the two, who's really a dictator, you know, who's uh, really governing by executive order. So uh, fuck Trump as far as that goes, too, because he signed plenty. But Biden, I mean, like 63 in the first day or first week in office, that it was a record set. So, I mean, you know, we, we talk a lot over the last couple of presidencies about executive orders, and I don't like them. You don't like them. I don't think. People that are paying attention like them a lot. But what's interesting is how little we paid attention to executive orders previously. Uh, if you go, if you just do a quick Google interesting search, point. You start, if you start looking at uh, which presidents uh, did what in terms of executive orders, it's absolutely astonishing that it wasn't a bigger topic until recently. 
you, you know, and uh, the biggest culprit of them all, surprise, surprise, would be uh, FDR. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, when, when you when you when you look at executive orders, and FDR wasn't the first one to to start signing them. Uh, Wilson, they, they all you do know, it. Woodrow Wilson. We just talk. <laughs> we just talk about it more now. It, yeah. It's not. Executive orders is not a bigger problem than it than it has been since you know the, uh, the Second World War. Uh, it's just something that is on our radar now, which I guess that's a good thing. It's on our radar. Yeah, I I think it actually kind of backfired because it seems like uh, some people uh, through the mainstream media were like pushing these like oh this. Um, well, I mean, let, let's be honest. The mainstream media has a uh, <coughs> a left leaning bias, which whatever um but they they would be like oh this republican did this through executive order um and i think that definitely did bring it into uh the cultural discussion so i i guess that's kind of a uh, a byproduct and it did kind of blow up in their face daffy duck style you know so that really interesting point um so just to reset a little bit um, let's see, let me bring this up. Okay. So to really define the against me argument, you need to define force and what is immoral force. Um, we, we could easily have an entire discussion, probably a four part series on exactly how to define force and probably still not get to the end of it. Um, but to kind of expand on just the idea of this for anybody listening and watching, whatever the idea of the against me argument is, are you willing to initiate force against me? Uh, the beauty of this argument is you don't have to be an expert on every subject. The one thing I hate discussing anything with anybody at all is that if you have a differing opinion, then you are expected to have an, an answer to every possible scenario, no matter how ridiculous the scenario is. Um, that is, it's just kind of uh, inhuman. Like, what are you expected to be a human robot to have every single statistic and every single chart memorized? Like, it's just impossible. So that is one reason why I do like this argument. You don't have to be a human robot or a cyborg to be able to uh, use this argument. Um, you don't have to have a PhD in economics. It's simple. It's effective. So to give an example, this is how it goes. Um, this is a status talking. I support fill in the blank. Um, example, surge welfare. I support the war on drugs. I support Homeland security. You, somebody arguing from this point would be well, I respect and acknowledge your position and I encourage you to support it economically. Um, I don't see an issue with it. Are you willing to give me the same respect to be able to disagree with you? So a status would be like, uh, yeah, okay. Then you would turn around and say something like, Am I allowed to act on this disagreement? Am I allowed to make my own free choice? I think that's where it starts to get dicey for this argument. Dicey meaning uh, 
effective, I guess, because it really brings out people's uh, at least current uh, understanding of things. Um, typically, people are going to allow you to be able to choose, like give you the right to choose. So from that point, you you agree that you're allowed to disagree, and you agree that you're free to act on that disagreement, just as you are free to act on your beliefs. So if I don't like the welfare state, I am free to not write a check and to not economically support the welfare state. So are you, you as in whoever you're discussing this with, are you willing to use the force of the government specifically through law enforcement to force me to pay for the welfare state? Or can I opt out of this? Are you going to give me the respect by allowing me to do to act upon my disagreement or will you use police to come to my house, take my money, take me to jail if I refuse to pay them, and if I fight them about the jail thing, possibly end up beaten up or dead? And I believe that that's the beauty of the against me argument. I don't think it's a, the only solution, but I believe it's a great arsenal to have in arguing or debating with anybody. Yeah, no, I, I think it's an excellent tool for debate. I, and again, it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish when you're having a conversation with somebody. Are you listening to learn and understand, or are you simply looking to win a debate? I think as far as a debate tactic, I think it's, I, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's a very useful tool. Um, and, uh, and, and one that I see people utilize actually, um, you know, quite effectively. Um, the, 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 the question though, um, presupposes though, I, I think that the person is going to be forced into, uh, capitulating, uh, you know, this point that like, well, you're sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that same respect, but I think that underestimates the arrogance of some people and the sense of entitlement and their misunderstanding or their just thoughts on what they believe the role of the government should be. When you apply this very tactic to somebody that say pro mandate, not to get back into that wormhole, but <laughs> if you were to uh, ask somebody, uh, you know, would you give me, uh, you know, th that same respect or whatnot. And a, a lot of people will say, no, no, because you're you're a murderer and it's your fault that the hospitals are full and you're the bad guy. And so, yes, the government should do all they can. And I have heard some really scary arguments about the level of control yep. that some people are willing to cede uh, to others in order to, you know, to infringe on individual liberties for this idea that they've cooked up of uh, collective good. And so as useful of a tactic as, as it can be, I think it's becoming less useful as people have become almost belligerent uh, in their opposition to liberty, where I, I, I wonder, you, you know, I, I think if you're talking to a sane person, 
this is probably a great uh, debate tactic. But if you if you're talking to somebody that is full blown, um, you know, dictator that believes in uh, you know medical coercion and malfeasance camps and others. <laughs> They are not. They are that conversation's not going to go down the yeah. uh, the Molyneux uh, route of where they're going to say, "Yeah, sure, I agree," you know, and and then and then and then you've got that gotcha on them. They're going to simply state, "Yeah, you're damn damn right. We can do whatever we want because you're the problem," and and so that's a level of arrogance that I don't think this particular tactic works for. And so uh, I, I guess again the timing on when you would use this, if you were in a formal debate with a rational person, I think it's a great tactic. And I think something that maybe people uh, on, uh, you know, any side of uh, an argument would want to maybe take a look at, um, you, you know, of just, uh, of, of how to, how to frame your questions and how to, uh, you know, just the idea of like, Hey, I, I concede, I acknowledge, I hear, I'm empathizing with what your position is. But now here's my position where it's like you're sounding reasonable, but now you're going to like twist it around and, you know, back them into a corner. It's it's brilliant. It really is. If you're talking to somebody that's, uh, you know, that's reasonable that's operating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, but but they've got to play along with that game. And honestly, like I'm just finding more and more people that will just look you dead in the fucking eye and tell you. Yeah, I think the government t- should be able to tell you what to do for the greater good. And, th- you know, yes, they should be able to, uh, you know, force you uh, to, you know, to get a jab. They should you should be able to lose your job if you refuse to do that. You can't feed your family. Yep. If you're not helping the greater good, then screw you. And um, yeah, that's problematic. And so I, I, I struggle to figure out practical applications for this anymore because i feel like we're we're running out of space on which we could even use this uh because uh, and, and again i'll be really interested in this conversation that you and i are going to have with uh, with some folks uh on on, uh, on the communist spectrum because uh <laughs> let's let's br- let's bring this very tactic to the table mm-hmm. and uh my prediction is my prediction is they will double down on coercion and not fall into uh, the rhetorical trap that this uh, that this sets up. So the one extension to this argument that I will bring up, um, when Molyneux first proposed this, um, by the way, anyone listening, watching, I will be linking to that first initial speech so you yourself can educate yourself about this. Um, and I'll link other resources as well. So I've actually been a fan of his for many, many years. Um, I own all of his books. I don't think he's perfect. I'm not a worshiper. He's not a cult leader though. That's a fucking retarded statement. And it's just, I don't know. That's another discussion, but the extension to the argument is that people have an ambivalence towards violence. They're okay with it. If somebody else does it. Now, if they themselves have to do it, it changes the whole picture. So the extension to the argument that he has brought up in later uh, discussions he has had about this, he used to talk about it all the time. He doesn't now. Um, But bringing up, are you willing to do this? Are you okay with the violence? Because you're either okay with the violence or you're not. Um, and like I said before, I'm willing to talk to somebody who's honest about it, but 
somebody who's irrational. And of course, it might most likely lead to that anytime you use this type of argument. Um, however, at least for your own benefit, it does expose your enemies and who is irrational. So I do think it will always have a place, at least in that sense. But there is another side of it to where you can say, okay, well, you're fine with the government doing it. Are you okay with doing it? And saying, would you put a gun in your hand and would you initiate force with it? Yep. It also leads to, in my opinion, a, a fun discussion around uh, the ability to opt out of paying for particular programs. Like if, uh, if somebody is anti-war, um, could they... Could, could they check a box that says, I don't want my tax dollars to go to a war effort. Um, I, I don't want my tax dollars to go to a welfare state. Um, you know, as people are listening to this, opting I'm sure out there's, of taxes. Yeah. There, there, there's, there's, I'm sure there's arguments that people would want to throw at me and uh, you know, that's fine. Um, but I, 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 I well, feel pretty me, strong. Me too. You know, that's uh, I, I, I knew that walking into doing this show that, uh, I was going to upset some people. Um, I actually had a uh, show preview. Um, it's so I, I, I had a uh, like a trailer. You know, in most places make you upload a trailer when you do like the official outlets or whatever. But then um, I had a preview and just saying, hey, if you're open to like completely honest, open discussions, this is the place to be. If not, don't listen because uh, you're gonna get pissed. Like just plain and simple kind of uh, interesting telling people not to listen, but you know, if the truth has a market, so, well, I think we're going to wrap up on that, not keep you too much longer. It was absolutely awesome. And we will do this again because we didn't even really get into the argument itself and how to deploy it and stuff. So yeah. we will have to have a part two and God, there's so many topics we can cover. So, uh, anyone watching, listening, make sure and keep an eye out on social media. You can find me, um, several different places. Go to rise to liberty.com slash links, and you can find me anywhere I am on the web. Um, do you have anything that you would like to plug any, anything at all? Any yeah, we've got, yeah, we got the Liberty round table, uh, which is hosted on, uh, muddy waters media. And uh, the next, the next uh, panel discussion will be talking about uh, social obedience, uh, which I think uh, will be an interesting. interesting conversation. Yeah, and the, uh, the panel discussions that we get are not simply libertarians in a circle jerk uh, echo chamber. It's really designed to try to be, bring people from uh, different political persuasions uh, to, to come together and have, have a, a thoughtful discourse. Uh, but you could find, uh, find that on Facebook if you want uh, the, uh, the Liberty Roundtable, uh, or you can find it through uh, Muddy Water Media. But, uh, yeah, check it out. Hell, yeah. Yeah, I, I watched uh, one of the first ones you guys did not too long ago, and, yeah, it was great. It was really, really good. It kept me uh, interested. You know, I consume so much media all the time. Sometimes you kind of drone it out, but no, I actually sat and watched the whole thing. And uh, yeah, there's really great discussion. So if you're interested in that, it is definitely great. And we will link to that in the show description. So on that note, thank you once again for coming on. 
and we will have you on again. Don't forget to go to risetoliberty.com. See you, everybody. Awesome. Good to see you, brother. You as well.